Hey folks, welcome to the DC3 cast. I am Brian. With me as always is Zach. Vince, uh, we've joked about this before, but this is serious. Uh, Vince is dead. He has gone to jock heaven. He's playing softball tonight. Hi-oh. And so uh, sitting in with us is our friend, multiversity contributor, uh, Ken Godberson. So Ken, hello. Welcome back to the show. And uh, thanks for filling in for uh, Vince at the last minute. What do you mean, Phil? This is permanent. He's dead. Oh yeah, well that that is true. <laughs> that, that, that is very true. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> so if you came if you came here for any of his Packer shit, uh, that's done. We that's done. <laughs> that is true. This show You're will welcome. be will be one hundred percent less Packery tonight than uh, the normal. But that's okay. We have lots and lots of DC stuff to talk about. Starting off with, uh, I, I think for me maybe the most interesting tweet of food that I've ever seen, which was uh, last week Jim Lee tweeted that he and Jonathan Hickman were eating some avocado toast in the Warner Brothers commissary. Now, uh, avocado toast and millennial jokes aside, you know, Jonathan Hickman has been sort of the um, the writer DC has been coveting for a long time, but has not done any work at DC since he has sort of broken through at Marvel, and now that he's done at Marvel... It seems like a logical time to bring Hickman on board. Uh, we've talked about this before a little bit in the past, but uh, gentlemen, what is your dream Hickman book at DC? Uh, Zach, I know your answer, so we'll let we'll let Ken go first here. Uh, well, it's probably going to be the same as Zach, but um, it's probably just going to be... I would love to see him do uh, The Legion of Superheroes, Preferably with Stefano Caselli, but being that he's been chained to Brian Bendis, uh, that won't happen. <laughs> Alternatively, fuck it, just put him on Avengers. Why not? He destroyed <laughs> one universe, let him destroy the other. I presume you mean Justice League, not not Avengers. Shit. <laughs> Never, no edits ever. Uh, but no, I, I uh, okay, Zach. So yours is obviously Legion as well. Do you have a, a, a plan B? Yeah. Well, actually, I want him to do both. I want him to do Legion and Justice League. Like like Avengers, New Avengers style? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Uh, so I, I've been thinking a lot about this, and I feel like, you know, the, the obvious choice is Legion. I think Legion makes a lot of sense. And I think Hickman is so good with these, like, scientific, world-building, um, just, you know fantastical worlds that that makes a lot of sense but i was also thinking it might be fun to put him on a book that is the total opposite of that and it's a book that dc has wanted to to bring to the spotlight for a while but it also does involve some youth which hickman is very good at writing and so maybe he'll be the one to bring back shazam finally oh that'd be interesting it's so far sorry go ahead who would you want on art with him Oh, that's interesting. Um, I don't know. You know, my sort of default um, answer for who do I want on art for anything winds up being Doc Shaner, uh, but especially because Doc Shaner did that great um, flash, uh, not Flashpoint, uh, what the fuck is it called, uh, Convergence uh, Shazam story, 
I think that would be cool. But I, I don't know how that would work with Hickman. You know, I um, huh? It's a good question. Yeah, you know, I, I think that right now DC has a lot of guys in their artistic stable that are really good that are are just waiting for that book that's going to to elevate them. Like Alvaro Martinez has been good for a long time. We put Alvaro Martinez on Detective, and all of a sudden. That guy's a superstar now, you know. Uh, Jorge Jimenez yeah. has been great for a long time. You put him on Super Sons and Superman, and all of a sudden everybody's talking about him. So I'm trying to think who would be the guy or gal. Oh, maybe now that I'm oh, you know, who, go ahead. I've got one. Go ahead. Someone I think would be really good for a Shazam book. Um, Bogdanovic. Oh, that would be fun. Yeah. What, what about Joel um, Jones? Ooh. Oh, but yeah, she's she's got she's on Batman, Brian. Oh, that is true. Oh no, that's terrible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, she's our only hope. She is our only hope. That is true. Um, but no, I I I think that the Hickman thing is going to happen this time. I know we've said that a lot in the past, but it seems like Jim Lee tweeting that out can't be accidental, right? Oh yeah, no, he was yeah he was winding everybody up. With yeah, uh, which which leads me to to sort of the the logical follow up to that, with the exception of like someone like Mark Wade who was at DC. Is there any creator out there that you guys feel like would be as big of a win for DC as Hickman, both in terms of the quality they will produce and in terms of the impact that their arrival would make? I only have one name I think would would be realistically equal to Hickman. I, I think it's the same name I've got too. Who's that? Jason Aaron. Yep, that's mine. Yep. Oh, I was. I I, <laughs> I figured one of you would jokingly say Bendis. Uh, <laughs> well, it have an impact. Yeah, it, it would. Um, but no, yeah, like Aaron is kind of like the last big name that Marvel has. Yeah. Like, yeah. like really big name. Um. Well, I guess Mark Wade, Dan Slot. I feel like I'm, I feel like Slot's uh, dropped a little bit in his profile. I think you're right about that, but I wonder if if Slot at DC wouldn't wouldn't like, for, for for the industry make some waves. You know, I guess it might. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I think I, if it had been like five years ago, yeah, 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 he's been on. Spider-Man so long just feels his whole career feels very dumb. Yeah, it's weird. I feel like you know it, there there's there's this really nice thing that happens when you've been on a character a long time where you start to be associated with it and you become an iconic creator. But if you stay on for too long, then it then then you just start to to feel uh like a, like an afterthought all the time. Like well, of, of yeah. course, of course slots still on Spider-Man. You know, it's not exciting anymore. Uh oh. And it's he weird. is supposed to be done pretty soon, though, right? I believe so. With, like, issue 800? Yeah. I think. It's Which amazing, how, how, it's oh, amazing how fast Slot fell from grace. I've, I've talked about this a little bit before, but I feel like when Superior Spider-Man was happening, everybody was hailing Slot still as this, like, genius writer. And then as soon as Peter Parker came back, folks were like, now we're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true. Well, he's also been like 
Yeah, his one of the most like controversial Twitter. That is people. true. I was just about to say that. Yeah. 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 You know who my biggest get from Marvel would be though? Who's that? I would love to see Al Ewing. Yeah, definitely. Stuff at DC. Yeah. Well, it, for, it it depends on which Al Ewing I get. I think it's true. <laughs> Al Ewing, I've got. Is there? Is it? You know, Loki, Agent of Asgard, Al Ewing, or is it New Avengers, Al Ewing? Because there's a difference. I didn't read New Avengers, so and, I think I, I think I have like a good sense of when Al Ewing is going to be good on something, and I only read those things. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, what is he on? He's on the U.S. Avengers and Ultimates too. Ultimates and Royals. Right. Yeah. Which I don't think I'm. I fell off Ultimates. I haven't I fell read off Royals. Royals is okay. Is it? It's yeah. It's just it's starting to the the big problem with it has been the um the art because um John Boy Myers left the book at like issue two. John Boy being John Boy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which yeah, I'm not a huge John Boy Myers fan to begin with, so. I don't, yeah, the art feels very in conflict with what Ewing's trying to do with it. Oh, man. But that's, but that's Marvel. That's the other company. So. Yeah. yeah, DC <laughs> 3 cast. Multiversity's biggest and best Marvel podcast. <laughs> yeah. Not, not for long. We're going to be having a Marvel podcast launching next month. Maybe, Are we? Maybe maybe October. Yeah, but we, we have something brewing. Who is the... Uh... Who's the lineup on that? Uh, can, can we talk about that? We'll talk about that off air. Okay, okay. We'll, we'll, let, we'll let the uh, the mystery here uh, be out there for the... Uh... Oh, man, I'm excited. I can't wait for the first crossover. I'm already thinking yeah. possibilities. Something-something. Uh, something, I don't even know. <laughs> I'm trying to pull a, a Marvel DC crossover joke. and I, I, Imagine if Stan Lee created the DC3 cast. There we go. Um, oh, is that what it's going to be called? <laughs> no, but I wish. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, DC announced a number of interesting miniseries for November uh, over the last week or 10 days or so. The most interesting of which is Mystic U, which was announced as part of the DCU lineup back in June of 2015, was it? That sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And uh, there was no creative team ever, ever solicited for it, and it it has returned now. And uh, before we get into the creative team, I just want to talk about sort of the general idea behind the book, which is that it is a Zatanna in Magic School book. Um, before we get to the creative team, are you guys on board with this as as a miniseries? Yeah, as a miniseries. Yeah, I don't. If it had been an ongoing, I would have probably just waited. But no, for three issues, yeah, I can, I can go with that. Three issues of Mike Norton art too. Yeah, oversized, and we've been a big fan of that format. Um, yeah, like the Dead Man series and the Supergirl series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, who is who is writing this book? I, I I'm blanking off the top of my head. I I Hold always on. forget her name. It's like Alicia. Kit, oh yes, like yes, 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 yes. Quitney. Quitney. 
A-W-I-T-N-E-Y. Yeah. I, I think that this book is really cool for a number of reasons. I think it's great to see DC, if not using brand new creators, certainly using underutilized members of their stable to do a series like this. I think the three-issue oversized uh, format is has been really effective thus far, as I said, especially on the Dead Man book. Which was uh, which was really really interesting and and fun and and just felt different for DC. What I'm really curious about is is do you guys think this is the same like script from what'll be almost two and a half years ago, or do you think that this is just a name that it carried over and everything else about it is brand new? I oh you go ahead Ken. I think it's just the name they're reusing. Yeah, same because wasn't weren't weren't that and like Dark Universe and Hellblazer all supposed to be kind of Connected. interwoven together? Yeah, at the time wasn't it, it was supposed to be James Tynion writing uh, Dark Universe, and that right? Yeah, and I and I felt like Mystic U was lumped in with that too. So I don't know if if that was actual or just because they were both because they were both delayed also we just kind of lumped them together because they were the books that weren't coming out (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. uh i'm really not sure but i'm with you guys i don't think that this is the same book at all i think that dc every now and then gets an idea in their head that they have to focus on x character for whatever reason and right now they are feeling like they have to focus on zatanna which is awesome for me i love Zatanna. Yeah, i'm totally okay with that one one little thing i did find i did like a quick search and it looks like elisa quitney was attached to the book as far back as uh august of 2015 oh wow because there was okay. a bleeding cool post about it so maybe maybe it is at least similar with yeah, some tweets I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure some ideas probably can carry over. Yeah. But, you know, uh, they republished a bunch of Satana stuff a few months ago. And then, uh, you know, seeing her show up in uh, Detective recently, which has been great. You know, seeing her show up in Detective has been so much fun. And I just think in general, there needs to be, like, if you're going to be bringing the more magical elements of the DC universe back. She's such an important part of that. And so I think it's great that they're focusing on her. I think it's interesting that this was supposed to launch at the same time as Gotham Academy. And maybe it was wise for them to hold one back because while I'm sure they're not going to be the exact same book, having two books set with young members of the DC universe in in a boarding school of some kind might have one might have just naturally lagged behind the other. It's possible. You know, so we'll see. Uh, I'm, I'm very interested to see where this, uh, where this miniseries goes, but before we get too much uh, further into the uh, miniseries discussion, let's move over to um, the Kurt Busick, John Paul Leon, Batman miniseries is coming out. This this is one that really took me by surprise. I was not expecting this whatsoever, but I think it, it's a really really nice surprise to get. 
Uh, Ken, you were talking about how on board you are with this before we started recording. Why is this something that that really, you know, does it for you? Well, it's well, Superman's secret identity is one of my favorite Superman stories ever. I hold it a lot higher than even things like All Star Superman, which I can respect, but I've always found a more emotional resonance with what you see and uh, Imminent did so. I'm just curious to see what he's going to do when he plots the bat. And I mean, I know, I know it's another, it's another Batman story, but kind of isn't. If that makes sense. Yeah, Zach. What about you? How are you feeling about this? Um, I don't know. I don't really have a strong reaction to it. I do really like. Secret secret identity a lot, um, but I just need to know more about it. You know, I I really like at face value. I'm not super interested, but I am sure that I will like it just based on the creative talent that's involved. This is another uh, short run series of oversized uh, issues. Uh, we should mention it's called Batman Creature of the Night. I realize we never said the actual. Uh, name of the series there. yeah um but you know it's i wonder if busiek is getting to a point with dc where he's going to and try not to laugh here where he's going to have that sort of neil adams role where he can do whatever he wants he can do you know these these shorter series that that sort of take place outside of continuity that let him kind of go nuts and uh, i would welcome that personally me too I think that'd be a good role for him. All right, the uh, the second miniseries that was announced is a new Etrigan miniseries, The Demon Hell is Earth, number one. Uh, not number one, number one. It's obviously the first issue, but the series isn't called that. Uh, written by Andrew Constant, illustrated by Brad Walker and Andrew Hennessy. Uh, this is yet another uh, Kirby character that DC is bringing back for... Kirby's 100th birthday, even though Etrigan hasn't really been gone all that long. It's been a little bit of a, a little while since we've had an Etrigan series. Um, does this move the needle for either of you guys? Are you guys big uh, demon fans? Um, yeah, I'm, yeah, I bet. Um, I loved him in Demon Knights, but I just love Demon Knights in general. Um, yeah, I've never heard of the writer before. Have either of you heard of Andrew Constant? No. Neither have I, no. Uh, we looked him up, was it last week on the show? We were waiting for Scott Snyder? Yeah, yeah. And he had done a couple little things. Like He had done things that we were at least aware of, but nothing that I think any of us had ever read. I think it's interesting that DC is giving so many new writers uh, a chance on these miniseries. I think it's great. I think this is the perfect type of environment to give... You know, a new a new creator a chance. You know, an Etrigan miniseries probably has a limited audience, no matter who's writing it. So you might as well let somebody take a shot at it. And if they knock it out of the park, that's great. And if if not, there's really not much harm done there. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and it's always nice to get some Brad Walker art. Absolutely, and it's also always nice to get an Etrigan story. I feel like. When he's done well, he's one of the more interesting DC characters. But unfortunately, I think all of us can point to a number of times when 
the character was done not so well. Um, but Demon Knights is a great, uh, a great series of the New Fifty Two that I think oftentimes gets forgotten because it was it was very much of its own world and didn't really interact with anything. But it was it was really special, and uh, I recommend everybody go back and read some Demon Knights. Yeah. It, lasted, it lasted a whole lot longer than I thought it was going to. Oh yeah, that's yeah, one of our favorite games in the show. Is to guess how long a series lasted, and and Zach knows exactly twenty three issues. I was going to say Zach knows exactly how long that one lasted. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it wasn't it. Let's see, twenty four. Are, are you counting the zero? Was twenty four the last issue? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. September 2011 to hello. What was it? Hello. Oh, I lost you guys for a second. Oh no, we're here. Okay, yeah, it it went from September 2011 to like August 2013. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> um. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Like Etrigan is like he's one of those characters like Bizarro where his you know unique speech pattern can be like a big hindrance for a writer and for the audience so um we'll see how he handles that yeah uh the the final of the of the new miniseries that was announced was a black lightning miniseries black lightning cold dead hands written by uh co-creator of the character tony isabella illustrated by clayton henry and um it's uh it's no surprise that DC is going to start doing more with Black Lightning because of the television series that is launching early next year on the CW. Uh, I'm a little surprised that they are starting out their reintroduction of Black Lightning with a uh, with a miniseries like this. I thought they were going to hotshot the character either onto the Justice League or into a, a solo book because this is going to wrap up like a month after the show uh launches and I feel like if the show is a hit they're gonna want an ongoing you know during that time and if the show is is not a hit I don't think having a miniseries is uh I, I still think it's better for them to have an ongoing even if the show wasn't successful an ongoing seems to make more sense to me but I don't know uh what do you guys think I mean, the timing is interesting. Maybe if it does, like, if the show does really well and picks up, then we will see him, like, move into something else. Um, and, like, the miniseries could help set up for that. Who knows? Yeah, I pretty much the same. I have the same thoughts about it. Yeah, I, it's interesting that we've seen him referenced now in a couple of the metal books as a member of Batman's Outsiders. And I, I do think we're maybe going to see an Outsiders comic launching out of Metal. And uh, so that will be perhaps the place we see Black Lightning going forward. Um, but yeah. Yeah, that'd be really cool. Yeah. I'm just down for more Geoforce, wherever, wherever I can get it. Uh, I'm like the one person in the world <laughs> who, is a, who is a Geoforce mark. But I am big, big time. Um, the last yeah. bit of 
of real news that we have to uh, to discuss here is uh, just a couple of days ago now, uh, Jeff Johns tweeted out the artwork for the cover the for three different covers for Doomsday Clock number one, uh, as well as we got the solicit information with uh, November solicitations. So Doomsday Clock is happening. The uh, the covers are are pretty. Uh, are pretty much what you'd expect. One of them is uh, a direct lift of some uh, some Dave, Gib- Dave Gibbons art. Uh, when I say lift, I, I don't mean another artist doing it. I mean it is Dave Gibbons art. Um, but we also get a uh, Gary Frank cover of uh, Superman, and he's he's breaking apart into various clocks, and Doctor Manhattan is behind him. This is the first time we've actually seen anything resembling Dr. Manhattan's uh, face or figure in these, uh, in the Doomsday Clock uh, information. You know, I, th- I think we've seen some blue, maybe we saw a blue hand in one of the, the Rebirth things, but this is the first time we've seen anything sort of beyond that. Uh, what did you guys think of the artwork? Um, I really like Gary Frank, so... Yeah, it's it was so good. Very- yeah, it's all very nice artwork. It's just, yeah, I, I, I mean, I've, I've made it no secret. I'm not really on board with this idea. So I, I can, I can acknowledge it's nice. It's just the motivation to read it is not, not off the charts. Really. Do you think yeah, that's fair? Yeah, Ken. Do you think that if if people are telling you, you know, it's really worth reading, it's great, would you check it out, or is this a hard pass for you, no matter what? I mean, if people I trust, whose opinions I trust, are telling me it's good, I'll check it out. But uh, it doesn't change the fact that I feel very, you know, trepidatious about it. I think that's fair. I, I, like, I think... I'll. I mean, I'll check. The first issue out, but it better sell me <laughs> immediately. It it it's doing the the classic DC event thing, which is that it starts a year in the future, and the DC universe is going to take a year to catch up to it. And I think I, I I'm a mark for that type of storytelling. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you know, I'm a big fan of that type of storytelling. I think that. That's a lot of fun in superhero comics to see stuff like that happening. So even if you took the Watchmen thing out so, of it, I'd be I'd be down with that. So I have a question: uh-huh. If Doomsday Clock is taking place a year in the future, does that mean metal is the equivalent of Fifty Two? <laughs> um, I see what you're getting at. Because like, metal is going to what February, something, something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, February, yeah. And these are all gonna uh, allegedly catch up to Doomsday Clock. But, uh, I feel like we'll probably see stuff in between metal and Doomsday Clock, though. Like, I feel like there will probably be. Yeah. I would almost actually maybe like look at them as bookends, potentially. Yeah. Or maybe like all the books all go all the way up to November 2018, 
mm-hmm. and then whatever December's issue is will take place after Doomsday Clock. Yeah, yeah, I could see that happening. Yeah, I'm... that'll be pretty big. That'll be, yeah, I actually hadn't even thought about that really. I I'm pretty interested to see how much Doomsday Clock is going to affect the the line overall. I feel like Doomsday Clock is a really important book, capital I important for DC to sort of establish the overall tone they're going for, which is, you know, that cynicism doesn't win and, you know, blah, 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 all the stuff that Johns has talked a lot about. But I wonder how much it's going to impact the the day-to-day machinations of the line because I don't think Johns is all that involved anymore with the day-to-day DC comic stuff. So I'm, I'm thinking that Metal might wind up having more of an influence over the types of books that we see coming out of it, etc., even if Doomsday Clock is technically the bigger event. Well, yeah, I don't think we'll see a lot of, like... We'll, I think we might see some... What I think will happen is we will see, like, a ton of Metal Fallout, and we'll get, like you know glimpses of things in doomsday clock that will happen over the course of that year like you know we'll see like oh wonder woman is off doing this thing because something happened and then wonder woman over that year might lead to that and then um like once doomsday clock is over kind of like ken was saying we'll have this like everything will catch up and it'll be this big new status quo shift probably like you know the next the next big thing will happen. Yeah, I, I'm I'm fascinated to see how DC pulls this off, if they pull it off. Mm-hmm. So, we'll see. But anyway, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in just a second with some reviews, so uh, enjoy. Hi, I'm Paul, the host of the Comic Syllabus Podcast, a weekly show on the Multiversity Network of Podcasts. We read widely and we dig deep bringing different analytical approaches to our study and appreciation of the wide variety of comics out there. Along with comics teachers, critics, and creators, we do close readings of classic and current exemplars of the medium. And we invite you to join us every Tuesday here at MultiversityComics.com. So let's dig deep. And we're back with uh, our review section of the show, and we're going to go alphabetically through all the reviews that we've uh, we've got waiting for us this week. And that means we get to start with Aquaman number 27. Um, this is written by Dan Abnett, illustrated by Stepion Sejic. Sejic, I always forget how we've decided we're pronouncing that name, but that's okay. Um, Ken, you're not you know, a regular co-host you know, until Vince died. So what have you been thinking about this Aquaman run so far? behind on Aquaman, um, but then I started again at issue 25, and I've been really liking this book. I've been liking it a lot. Um, what This book, for me, this is kind of what I feel like what Marvel wanted to do with the Inhumans, but got cold feet. It's doing so much world-building with Atlantis, and it's so far removed from traditional superhero work. And it really works for it. Really, really works here. Yeah, I, I think that's a good call. I, I think that this feels like DC's answer to. And again, I, I'm I, I'm not a watcher of this show, so 
mean, I'm talking on my ass here, but I feel like it's sort of their Game of Thrones answer. You know, the sort of the the uh, the, the various kingdoms warring and that sort of thing. And I think Inhumans is Marvel's answer to Game of Thrones in a certain way. So it makes sense to me that this would be, uh, you know, sort of doing what Marvel's trying to do, but better. What I'm really interested to see is how long they can keep Arthur out of the fray, as it were, and not have him uh, interacting with the service world. I, I, I would love to see this series continue on indefinitely with him having only the most minimal connection to the service world. Yeah, I I would like to see that too, but I I'm wondering did you did you see the solicitation for the Aquaman annual that's coming in November? I did, yes, with art by Max Fumara from uh, uh, the Mignolaverse fame. Yeah, which was really cool. But the interesting thing there was a Dan Abnett isn't writing it, and B it uh, seems to like signify a pretty big status quo change. Like this arc might wrap up soon. See, I think that annual might be a one-and-done story. You think so? I hope so. Because it... That would... I mean, I would prefer that. He, uh... It's just interesting with uh, that arc wraps up that same month. Or this arc wraps up that same month. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. It depends if DC is using the annual to launch something new or just to kill that fifth week in the month right yeah, yeah yeah but yeah this uh this is really good um as the previous two have been you know uh great art really fun like political machinations going on um crush and cadaver still you know outstrip their their goofy names and uh some cool titan stuff yeah, the Titans, yeah. the Titan stuff is heartbreaking because it shows us what we could have if we didn't have Brett Booth drawing that book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, it's been fun having Abnett on both of those books and having like the interplay with Garth. He's done some like really interesting things with his, I guess, like past and the the mythology with like the the Silent School. Yeah, that would be a pretty that would be a fun mini i think to have like a tempest mini series and kind of flesh out that yeah the school and stuff that would be, be interesting. interesting yeah yeah i'm uh, i'm on board with with doing more atlantean stuff but we'll see we'll see if dc actually follows through with that um next up we have batman number 29 written by tom king illustrated by michael janine um Zach, you and I briefly talked about this uh, a couple days ago, but yeah, you have decided because you you were the big apologist for the Joker in this uh-huh. story, and you have yeah. decided that you hate the Joker now too. Yeah, I don't like him. He's this issue. Th- I feel like this has been there the entire time, and maybe I've just you know overlooked it, or it it didn't bother me so much. But this issue like really brought out that king's joker is just a really petulant child and yeah it's it's just i reached my fill with this issue uh so my my hottest take this week 
is that I think this is the best issue of this crossover, so of uh, this of this uh, arc so far. I I don't think that's exactly the highest of praise, but I think that Janine does a really nice job, specifically with the food stuff. I, I mentioned to Vincent Zach that I want him to do an a, an arc of food wars now <laughs> in Weekly Shonen Jump because I I thought his his food stuff was just absolutely incredible. And I thought the issue was structured in a really interesting way. Even if it didn't really work for the story, it was it was king to me trying something new and trying something different. And it allowed the characters to do more than just utter one syllable nicknames at each other the whole time. There there was there was just there was a different feel to this tight to this issue. And if more of King's issues took chances in this way, I think I'd be much more on board with his with his run on the book. Uh, Ken, what did you think of this issue? Um, I, I kind of agree more with you, uh, Brian. Um, I mean, I've I've more or less agree with you, all three of you guys. The series as a whole, I feel like it's a book that is simultaneously trying too hard while also not remotely trying at all. <laughs> yeah. But considering the low bar, it, I didn't hate this issue. Um, I always like kind of like these bottle issues that take place in one scene. And it is a lot of talking, a lot of character work. It's just a lot of the character work is obnoxious. <laughs> and if they were if they were better takes on these characters, if it was a better take on the Joker, if it was a better take on the Riddler, if it was a better take on Bruce, this could have been a really, really stellar issue. But they're the most... I, I, I don't know if I've said it right. They are, these are the most obnoxious takes on all these characters. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And, every, and this is a small aside, but every time I see that question mark scar on Riddler's chest, I want to freaking smash my head into it. It's so dumb. I actually think that the Bruce stuff in this issue wasn't as bad as Bruce has been in the past here, but it is it is certainly an obnoxious take on the character, to, you know, uh, at a certain level. And man, can we just get the Riddler to button this fucking shirt? Yeah. It's really distracting. Like you said, Ken, every time I see it I just want to throw my Throw myself off, off a bridge or something. It's it's bad. But enough about this issue. Let's get to something that I really enjoyed this week, which was Batwoman number 26, uh, written by James Tynion IV and Marguerite Bennett and illustrated by... Who did this issue? This was a, a, a different artist we had. Um, it was... Um, yeah, here we go. Um, Renato Arlem. Yeah, Renato Arlem. I know Zach, you weren't as big of a fan of the art, right? I only I only thought that some of the characters looked like a lot older than they were supposed to be. Um, like maybe there was some kind of miscommunication on that because it was it was like a five year time jump, and most of them looked like they were in their twenty five years older. <laughs> is yeah, it, yeah. Is it just a five year time jump? Uh huh. I must well, okay. Oh, it says it yeah. says year five in the reign of the bat, so I guess maybe yeah, it could that... be more than that. Okay, that, I guess that's true. I took that as like a yeah, because I mean, you know, yeah, that's true. It could be longer. The skyline in some of these backgrounds they look kind of like Neo Gotham. 
Yeah, so maybe, okay, I may be, yeah, that may have been, like, a misinterpretation on my part, and if that was the case, then then I have no complaints about this issue. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought this was a really fun issue. I, I, I think it's sort of funny that Tim Drake is both the most beloved Robin for a lot of people, but also the one that the future fucks with the most. Like, mm-hmm. Tim Drake was, yeah. was Future's End, Batman Beyond, and, you know... Uh, here he's the evil Batman of the future, but I think it, it it somewhat shows that the character is just so interesting that you can put him in all these. He's very malleable. You can put him in these different situations, and it kind of makes sense. Um, but Ken, I know you're a huge, huge uh, you know, Tim Drake fan. So did that bother you, or does it is the story still so embryonic that you're going to wait and see? It it didn't bother me mostly because these. Fe- well, one, it's it's just an, another... I hate to be glib about it, but this, it's just another dark future. Yeah. And, I mean, I we had, like... there have, There's even been another dark future with an evil Tim Drake, the, uh, the Titans of Tomorrow from way long ago. Um, I'm... Well, let's just... This is essentially a an advertisement for the Detective Comics arc that's coming... Um, in November. Yeah. So I, I gotta wait and see. I gotta wait to see how what Tynion's gonna be doing with a lonely place of living before I can really have any idea of what to think of it. That's I thought fair. it was. I thought this issue was fine, but yeah, no, this it's way too soon. I would rather just would like to see a wait to, for him to be back before I can make any judgment. That's fair. I, I, I think that uh, one of the things I've really enjoyed about the Batwoman character in Rebirth is that they are really doubling down on what makes her different than Batman. And yeah. I feel like when lazier writers have taken that character on, she hasn't been so distinctly herself. She hasn't... There hasn't been a ton there. Like, you know, I, I think that... The, her best stories you couldn't just gender swap Batman and get those stories and this definitely feels like a Kate Kane story beyond her being just uh, you know so many of these stories are are about her being Bruce's cousin or all that this feels like something completely different than that and I'm happy about that more Kate Kane is good yes all right, that brings us to uh, Cave Carson as a cybernetic eye, number 11, written by Gerard Way and John Rivera, illustrated by Michael Avon Oming. Um, this is the penultimate issue before the series takes a break until early next year. We get some more alternate universe caves, alternate universe Mrs. Caves. We get some metal men. Um, Ken, are you current on this series or, or no? I have not read a single issue of any Young Animal book. Really? Really, really. What is your reasoning for that? I just... Time and energy and other books that are attracting my eye. I I don't think any of them were bad looking. I'm sure one day I'll grab a trade of one of them, but... Yeah, it's just... It's too much. Too much to focus on for me. That's really interesting. Um so, Zach, what did you think of this issue? Um, I thought it was fine. I 
think that my interest in this series is waning a little bit. Like this, this current arc that it's been on has dragged a little bit for me. Well, I think it's gone on a little bit too long. Yeah. I, I think if this arc was two issues less, we'd all mm-hmm. be on board with it. But I, I agree with you. I think that this, this feels a bit decompressed, especially which is, which is not, which is not great because the series is full of so many interesting ideas and so many fun moments that it should be like moving at a, at a really quick pace. And this just feels like we've been in the same situation for the past three or four issues. Right. And it's time to move on a little bit. Uh, yeah. Plus, just not nearly enough wild dog, this issue. <laughs> not enough wild dog, for sure. Um, yeah, but it's fine. We've got one more issue left of this, and I'm sure it'll wrap things up interestingly. You know, it's. It, I feel like this is the first issue where it's really felt, you know, like it's wearing a little thin. And so maybe they'll stick the landing next issue and come back with something cool when the book returns. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, that brings us to another book Ken didn't read. <laughs> Future Quest presents number one. This is a space ghost arc to start the new series, uh, written by Jeff Parker, illustrated by everyone's favorite, and by everyone I mean my absolute maybe least favorite artist working today, Ariel Olivetti. Um, I have to say, least favorite. I, uh... What was that Ken? Oh, least. Least favorite, huh? Oh, I can't do it, man. I uh, no. I really dislike his art. Yeah, it just seems so so photoshopped and weird to me. Yeah, I'm I'm usually very much not a fan, but I was gonna say I something about this issue I didn't mind as much. This was certainly better than his Green Lantern Space Ghost. Yes, uh, special sure. he did earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what did you think of this issue then? Uh, Zach? I liked it. I liked it a lot. I didn't keep up with the first Future Quest all the way through, which is a shame because I was like really excited for it. There was just too much going on in each issue. Um, and this felt a lot more um, manageable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really liked the direction of this. Yeah, I think it did a nice job of introducing the character and the world without just being so exposition heavy. Like it gave you an idea of who these characters are without giving you 40 pages of dialogue about why they were uh, doing what they were doing. It was all explained relatively succinctly. And uh, I trust Jeff Parker. Jeff Parker is one of the more consistent writers in comics and doesn't get the credit he deserves at all. So if Jeff Parker is writing this, I'm on board. What did you think about the the interesting focus on a special metal? <laughs> well, that was interesting too. I I can't believe that metals on a crossover with Future Quest presents, but uh, I don't know. Maybe what do you what do you think of that? What do you make of I, that? I I think it's a coincidence, but wouldn't it be funny if it if it did if it was something? I don't know if funny is the right word, but yeah, it would, it would certainly be something. I guess, yeah, I, yeah, funny is not, funny not in the literal haha sense, right. but. Not funny um, haha, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm actually, this property and, in, in like, specifically of all the Hanna-Barbera stuff just kind of 
feels like it's made for crossing over with the main DCU. That is true. That is true. Um, I feel like it would probably work better than something, say, like uh, Wildstorm. <laughs> yeah. Although with the uh, with the whole dark multiverse thing, with like literally thousands, tens of thousands of possible planets popping up, there's no reason why almost anything can't be a part of the DC multiverse now. True. So um, that brings us to, and this is usually nothing we cover, but DC sent it over, and uh, so we'll, we'll talk about it for a minute here. The first issue, the first digital installment of Gotham City Garage came out last week, and uh, excuse me. Do not take my yawn as an indication of my feelings of this book. Um, it was written by Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing, who did Hacktivist and who were part of the Batman and Robin Eternal writing team. And it was illustrated by Brian Ching, who did the first arc on Steve Orlando's Supergirl. And um, I don't know about you guys. I was pretty surprised at how Supergirl-centric this was. I did not expect that. I also hadn't maybe paid as much attention to the solicits as I should have. I will, <laughs> I'll give you that. But I did not know this was going to be such a uh, Kara-heavy title. No, I had no idea. I really didn't even know that Gotham City Garage was a thing, like, at all. Um, might because it's when you based were in Japan. on a statue line. Yeah, it, might have, mm. it might, might have been announced when you were in Japan. Well, no, I mean just, like, they're based on statues, right? Yes. Or yes. I didn't know that ha- those statues existed, even. Um, unless it's unless that's a relatively new thing as well. Um, because, you know, you know, like, Gotham City, or not, uh, DC Bombshells, um, you know, it spun out of, like, the variants and the statues, and that was a, you know, really um, widely publicized thing. But I had just never heard of this line at all so but conceptually it's cool you know it's mad max apocalyptic future supergirl stuff supergirl adopted by jim gordon how weird uh, <laughs> it's yeah it's it's a weird hodgepodge of everything but the art was really good i i feel like this i feel like this suits ching this setting, this tone, like, suits him very well. Um, whereas, you know, like, his work on Supergirl was more upbeat and and everything. Not that that didn't work well, but he, his, he has kind of, like, a sketchy line work anyway. And so it, it fit really well with this tone, I think. Uh, Ken, did you page through this at all? I flipped through it. Um, it, it, it seemed okay. I maybe it can go somewhere, but um, yeah, I just found it to be okay. These digital chapters are so short; it can be hard yeah, to, to make an opinion like, on it. It's only like eight pages. Yeah, this is also like a very clear example. You could tell somebody in the DC offices went to like the uh, Mad Max Fury Road premiere and was mm-hmm. like, "All right, guys, we got to green light this this uh, statue series, and then uh, you know, move all that along as well." Which, you know, hey, that happens in comics all the time. There are worse things to draw inspiration from than Mad Max Fury Road. And, uh, yeah, I I think that this is fine. I I think that making comics based on statues, based on comic characters, is is a bit of a weird Ouroboros. But, you know, (laughs) 2017, man. 
Uh, all right, that brings us to Green Arrow number 29. Green Arrow, which is going to be going monthly as of November, by the way. They're dropping it from twice monthly just down to monthly, which uh, is a bit of a shame because I'm really enjoying this arc. Uh, this is the hard-traveling hero arc. We've seen um, Ollie interact with various members of the Justice League. Excuse me, yawn again. Damn it, I'm tired. Um, this week we see uh, Batman pop in, and uh, we continue to have amazing, amazing artwork on this series. This issue illustrated by Juan Ferreira and written by Ben Percy. Um, Ken, have you been keeping up with Green Arrow? Okay, I got a confession to make. Uh, this book and the book we're going to be talking about next, uh-huh. I have not read a single issue of them. Okay. Except the ones I've read for tonight. Okay. That being said, I I really did dig this issue. I think it's a bit I think it's a bit wordy. I think I think mm-hmm. Ben Percy's always had that problem that he needs he can he can tone it down a bit, but uh the art very much makes up for it. This is amazing art. Have you followed Juan Ferreira's work before? Um, when he was doing Gotham by Midnight. Okay. I, I he had some other books before that, but uh, that's did, where I first met him. Yeah, he did Colder over at Dark Horse, and uh, there was that one, I don't know if you remember it or not, there was the, the cover to the first issue of Colder where a guy was, like, putting his fingers under his skin. Oh, Yeah! And that was the first piece of art I had ever seen by him. And I was like, holy shit, this is a terrifying uh, visual. And he has been one of my favorites ever since. And, I mean, he is he's splitting the art duties here with a few other people. Uh, Eleanor Carlini has done a few issues. Um, Otto Schmidt is the other regular artist. And everyone's been really good. But Ferreira, especially when you introduce Batman into it, good goodness gracious, he looks great. I mean, it just yeah. the art is so good. Uh, Zach, what do you think of this issue? Yeah, this this was another really great issue. This arc has probably been the best arc of Percy's Green Arrow run. I feel like I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, and you know, this was the obligatory Batman issue, but it worked really well, kind of playing Ollie and Bruce off of each other. Um, used to the Court of Owls. Um, and then, like you said, yeah, great art. I did think it was kind of weird how um, how Ollie, like, I thought it was weird how he just, like, went to the party, and A, he's, like, on trial for murder, also he was presumed dead for a while, and I'm pretty sure everyone should probably know that he is, like, broke, he doesn't have any money, so he just, like, walks in, he's like, oh, hey guys, I'm Ollie, let's party, and everybody's just cool with it, but... I mean, to be fair, I, I feel like one of the things that Percy has been doing is has been building up Ollie's like public image as almost like a uh, a Kardashian or like a Paris Hilton type character. Yeah. And I feel like a Kardashian could be presumed dead and then show up at a cocktail party and no one would bat an eye. Like, you know, and that's, that's somewhat realistic to the social circle he's traveling in. You're, you're probably right, yeah. Uh, but Ken, if, if if you have any interest in reading more of this, I would really suggest the Hard Traveling Hero uh, story to start with. While the rest of the book has been good, this has been really great, and it's seen Ali play off now Barry, Diana, Lex, and uh, 
and Bruce. Okay. So yeah, definitely worth, especially the Lex issue from two weeks ago was maybe the best Lex Luthor we've gotten in Rebirth. We've had a lot of Lex Luthor. Brian, so. you're, Brian, yeah, your voice was going to haywire there. Oh, uh, I was saying that uh, that Percy wrote perhaps the best Lex Luthor of Rebirth so far. Really? Yeah, and there's been a lot of good Lex, but but Percy really got him last week. It was quite quite good. Oh, all right. I'll I I'll I'll have to look into that. Yeah. Um, that brings us to Green Lanterns number twenty nine. Uh, this is the I believe third part of the uh, the Out of Time arc, written by Sam Humphreys, illustrated by Eduardo uh, Pansica. Zach and I have been talking about this on the show for a few weeks now. How this arc is exactly what we thought it was going to be, and why how that's both good and bad. But I think this issue in particular, felt just a little bit hackneyed and a little bit predictable. Uh, do you agree, Zach? Yeah, I didn't like this issue. Any issue where um, Simon does the, the Emerald Sight thing automatically like drops a few pegs for me. Yeah. Just because of how, how like weird and dramatic it is every time. Did you ever see the... Uh the early 80s Stephen King adaptation, The Dead Zone, with, with Christopher Walken as the main character? I've no, I've never seen it. <laughs> okay. Essentially, the way Simon does his, like, Emerald Sight is, like, how Christopher Walken reacts in The Dead Zone. <laughs> so. Oh, man. That's kind of awesome. Yeah, it it's, uh... Th- there was a really great SNL parody, like, 15 years after that movie came out with Christopher Walken hosting. That I highly recommend you uh, you seek out as well, but yeah, this okay. was um, this was this was. I mean, it looked nice. You know, there there was some good art in it. I mean, I, I think Pensica, or uh, yeah, I, I think he can he can tend to go a little bit over the top sometimes with his facial expressions, especially. But I think overall he works for this title. I just wish there was more happening here. Yeah, and I I have of the two kind of like rotating artists i've liked uh cliquette more recently yeah, i agree so yeah ken this is your first issue reading this uh this series any thoughts on it well this is my first issue because i avoided this series because i don't really like sam humphreys as a writer i don't I think he tries to, well, for me at least, he tries to be a, you know, a hashtag fun writer, <laughs> but it never, outside of, like, the first half of Avengers AI from a couple years back, I never found any of his work to be fun. And this, this bored me to tears. <laughs> I was so bored reading this book. I mean, especially you're coming into it without any context of the of the arc so far yeah that that didn't help and <laughs> but but even so like it's it's people using green lantern rings that should always be fun yeah yeah but um and i i mean i know jess and simon but it just yeah it it, it, it did nothing for me yeah. It didn't do anything for me either so and i've had to read the whole thing so <laughs> you're not alone 
Had to. Had to. <laughs> Uh, well, that brings us to the Jack Kirby special this week, the Sandman Oversized Special. Uh, this issue, we both got uh, Jurgens and Orlandoed. Yeah, uh, the first story was written by Dan Jurgens and illustrated by uh, John Bogdanov. And the second story was written by Steve Orlando and illustrated by... Give me a second here. Scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Uh... Uh, Rick Leonardi. Yes, Rick Leonardi. There we go. Um, the Sandman is a really interesting Kirby character, as I feel like for the most part he is totally forgotten by a lot of people. There are yeah, o- I mean, there are other Sandmen that are that are more famous and more beloved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but Ken, have, did you read this issue? Uh, I did, and um. I actually, I liked it. Um, I think more so from an art perspective, necessarily than from a story one. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it was very, it was, it was very fun. I agree. I, I think this was this was super fun. I kind of wish that this character didn't have this name, so that he yeah. be brought back in in, in a uh, in some sort of capacity and not be confused for either the classic JSA Sandman or the. Uh, you know, Dream of the Endless. Uh, Zach, what'd you think of this? You ready for my hot take? Sure. I liked the Jurgen story better than the Orlando story. Me too! <laughs> Me too. Oh, man. But they were both very good. Um, I think the Jurgen story was helped out by the art. I thought the john bogdanov art mm-hmm. was super fun just just very kirby but like with a really modern sheen to it he did that kind of like weird um like material art thing that is super kirby but not a lot of people i feel like when people ape kirby they ape more his his like line style and not his his design sense um, that's a nice observation so I thought that was really fun Yeah, I think his art of anybody we've gotten from one of these big specials so far his art was the maybe the most in the spirit of Kirby mm-hmm, definitely I, I agree and um, just kind of like the core idea of the of the story where this you know this kid is making all these monsters with his dreams, but he also creates a hero to save the day too. Was pretty fun, and that that hero was just like pure Kirby. He was like Thor plus Orion plus yeah. you know who else? Captain America, but, maybe a little bit. Of America, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Which the reveal was... at the end was a little bit on the nose mm-hmm. of the kid being Kirby himself. Right, right, but. With it being like a tribute issue, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I I wonder for how many people, and it's probably a fair amount. This is the first of the Sandman story they've gotten. I mean, gosh, I don't think I've read very many of Kirby Sandman stories. You know, I'm familiar with like some of the concepts, like the like Glob and uh, Brute from mm-hmm. from Game and Sandman, but. 
uh yeah not really not really much did did he make an appearance recently in bug i believe he or, did. or some concept maybe some some aspects of him i believe you're right that's another good pull you're on fire tonight yeah and, I know. I know. Like Fuego. I recognize that whistle. The whistle was definitely in uh, in Bug. Yeah. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, this was good. This may have been my favorite of the the Kirby one shot so far. Well, it, it was certainly better than the Newsboy Legion one <laughs> for sure. For sure. And uh, what was the other one? The uh... Uh, it was the Orion one, which was oh, yeah. also very good, but. Yeah. Hey, it's it's as we've said on this podcast a hundred times, you know, Kirby gave so much more to Marvel than he did to DC, and yet DC is treating his hundredth birthday with such a celebratory reverence that Marvel is just not even touching. Um, Ken, have you noticed that, or is that just because we have our nose so deep in DC every week that we notice how much they're doing? Is is it noticeable from an outsider's perspective that, that they're doing that much for Kirby? No, you're not wrong. Um, I was actually talking about this with a couple of people at FlameCon that DC has been a lot more respectful about Jack Kirby's Centennial than Marvel has been, which is really more insulting considering Marvel owes Jack a lot more than DC does. Exactly. I think for DC, you know, Kirby introduced so many of the sort of fun, wacky 70s, you know, late Silver Age, early Bronze Age stuff that they still use today. Like Darkseid is obviously a huge part of DC and the New Gods have have their place, you know. But ultimately, some of Kirby's most popular, or not popular, most beloved DC creations... Like, Commandy really doesn't matter to the DC Universe. Commandy went away for a long time and didn't fundamentally change what DC does. If you took the Kirby creations out of Marvel for even a month, you'd have no Marvel comics. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. So. Um, we. Uh, I'm pretty excited. I was looking ahead to next week to see, because I couldn't remember what other specials we have, and I think we may have the best yet to come um which one is we've next got week? the we have two next week we have the dark side special which is written by mark evanier um and illustrated by scott collins and chris burnham Ooh, and then uh black racer and shiloh norman written by uh reginald hoodlin and illustrated by dennis cowan yeah you're right those should be dope yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, uh, that brings us to Justice League number twenty-seven, written by Brian Hitch, illustrated by Fernando Pissarin. Uh This was this is the second part of the legacy arc involving the future kids of the Justice League, uh, which is such like a Silver Agey, uh, you know, idea for a series. Uh, this maybe was my favorite issue of the Hitch Justice League so far. Yeah, I think I'm with you. I like this a lot. Um, I think we kind of talked about it a little bit the other night, um, and I said something like how it was a little 
on the nose hokey because they have to, you know, map out, you know, how everyone is related to each other, who's, who's, you know, who's child and everything. But there were just some really nice moments. Like one thing from this series that I kind of like that I didn't really expect is the Barry and Jessica stuff. And this, you know, got to play on that really, really heavily. Um, so it was fun. Um, Ken, what'd you think of this issue? Um, well, I've got uh, two things come to mind. Um, this reminds me a lot. Um, this is a couple of years ago over in Marvel. Do you remember that next Avengers stuff they did? Like the mm-hmm. kids of the Avengers? Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's what this reminds Nick, me of. Nick Spencer used them last in the, in, um, Avengers. Uh, yes. Wait, yeah. Sick Nenser? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh yeah, that's, but this, that's a good this call. feels like a a, a a better version of that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It it is a lot like that. And the second thing that popped out to me was on the double page spread a couple of pages in, I don't know if the letterer was the creative team was just, I don't know, treating us like we're a little dumb, but why are you identifying Superman and Green Lantern and Flash and not these kids that we have no idea who they are? Oh, hey, guys, man. in case you've literally never seen anything DC-related, this is Superman. Yeah. That was so weird. It is weird. You know, I almost would have expected them to do, you know, how when um, they have the JLA, JSA crossovers and usually on the the opening or, you know, a few pages in, they'll have the characters' faces down the sides of the page with their names. Oh, I love that so much. That would have been like, yeah, the floating heads. That would have been a great opportunity to do something like that with this, with, you know, these two groups. But yeah, no, just doing weird you know, name placards for the most, you know, iconic characters that they have. And like Ken said, it'd be one thing if they did it for both sets of characters, but to just do it for the characters we all know, very odd. Very, very odd. Um, one of the, my favorite things about this issue is I think we were all expecting that kid to be the child of Diana and Clark. And I'm so glad that it's not. Same. Yeah. And yeah. I think the way they handled that was so perfectly Superman, too, that he would take in Wonder Woman's, uh, you know, estranged son. And John right. would be his big brother. Like, I-, I thought that was such a perfect character moment for, for in a book that sometimes I feel like doesn't necessarily line up well with my preconceived ideas of certain characters. I thought they really nailed Superman there. Yeah. All right. Anything else to add? Go ahead. um, I I think these uh, three uh, Flash kids have better names than Barry's actual kids. (laughs) Um, Because who names the kid Don in 2017? (laughs) Or whenever Don will be born. Time travel. No. Go. Skip. Go. 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 
I think Donald might become the Adolf of the American names. <sighs> and here come the comments. Yeah. politics on my podcast. Bang, bang, yeah. bang. People know what to expect I, from us at this point. <laughs> yeah, they do. I only have one more thing to add on uh, Variant Cover Watch. There's a really funny, uh, I guess, like coloring error where Mara is there, but she's like colored with all of Arthur's colors, including, like, blonde hair. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes, that's... Someone wasn't paying attention. Yeah, seriously. Brad and Dad. <laughs> you get someone fired over here, Zach. Or Alex Sinclair, my <laughs> uh, That brings us to uh, Nightwing number 27, written by Tim Seeley, illustrated by Javi Fernandez. This is the second part of the Spiral arc we get uh, some really fun stuff here. The last arc might have dragged a little bit, but this this brings Seely right back to some of the characters he was dealing with so well in Grayson, and Javier Fernandez is so much fun to just to gaze at his art. I, I really, really find his his pairing with Seely is one of my favorites from DC the last, you know, three or four years. And... Uh, I thought the reveal at the end felt earned. Even though, excuse me, it's a little cheap. I, I think that the the book pulled it off well. And uh, yeah, I, I'm a fan. Now, Ken, I know you you were reading this book, but you dropped off for a little bit. What did you think of this issue? I, I really liked it. This is, uh, it's a much, uh, a better, um, eh, sorry. It's a big improvement from the last arc. The last arc was so it was just so, eh. But this this feels like the book is re-energized. Yeah, we've talked in the past a little bit about how the double shipping. It, it used to be sometimes there would be like a, a filler issue between a uh, between a couple of arcs. I feel like now sometimes there are filler arcs in Rebirth because of the double shipping, and I feel like that blockbuster arc was a a filler arc for sure. Yeah. Zach, what do you think of this? This is fun. Yeah, this is, you know, this book doing, you know, this is Seeley, you know, running on all cylinders. And it's kind of funny how we had, you know, prior to the blockbuster arc, we had the arc that kind of riffed on Batman and Robin. Mm -hmm. And now we have an arc that's riffing off Grayson and, building off of Grayson and that's kind of I think that works even you know to a degree even better because that was sort of you know that was Seely um doing that himself and so this feels a like a, a direct continuation and works really well yeah agreed I I really like um as if Fernandez's work here I think specifically I'm trying to find who the colorist is for this um, Sotomayor, I feel like when Sotomayor is coloring uh, Fernandez, it's just it, it it works on a whole different level. I, I was really struck by the colors in this issue. Um, that brings us to Super Sons number seven, Planet of the Capes, <laughs> an amazing uh, an amazing arc title written by Peter Tomasi, illustrated by Jorge Jimenez. We see John Kent join the Teen Titans for this issue, and Guys, I had a smile on my face the entire time I was reading this book. 
Yeah, this book's a delight. Mm-hmm. I really, yeah. It's so much fun. And we were saying it before, but if there are two artists that really came into their own with Rebirth, uh, the first would be Alvaro Martinez, but the other one is definitely jo- uh, George Jimenez. His art is wonderful. It's just so fun and expressive, and his Damien is so wonderfully brooding, but his John is so wonderfully like starry eyed and and uh, he just he nails the two of them so well. I was afraid when this book was announced that the book would have to make John Dower or Damien happy, and uh, it thankfully has not done that. No, yeah, and the you know the incorporation of the Teen Titans in this arc has worked really well. It's fun to get to see um, John play off of them some, and it's just making the best use of of kind of DC's younger characters. I know it's a cheap joke, but old man Robin having to use the bathroom so much <laughs> really made me laugh. Yeah, yeah, uh, just handled so well. Um, what, what do you guys hope long-term for this book? Um, I hope that it doesn't get canceled. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) I hope it makes it past 12 issues. I think it will. I, I think it will too, but it's, um, you know, it works really well, kind of off on its own, but I also... You know, it's fu- it's funny with it's kind of interesting how over the past month or two, we've kind of had Tomasi and Gleason not, you know, they're Superman to me in a lot of ways. It kind of feels like Superman has been on a hiatus since the end of that Manchester Black arc. <laughs> and so um, to have them carrying that torch here is interesting. Um, yes, yeah, that is interesting. You're right about that. Um, I was thinking about this when I was reading this issue last week. That I I hope that this book continues to be about the two of them getting to know each other more and getting to trust each other more. And you know, one of the things that that DC has done consistently over the past thirty or thirty five years is they never really made Bruce and Clark friends the way they were you know, in the Silver Age. And I, I think that those characters maybe are so set in stone in our minds right now that it's hard to do that. But making John and and Damien friends is, is first of all, a, a newer, fresher idea. But I think it's also a little bit easier in some ways. And I, I love their friendship. I hope, they, I hope we get a lot more of them together. I just hope John sticks around. I, I hope some jack jackass creator doesn't decide to go. Well, let's bring Superman back to basics and screw it all up. Yeah, I I, I wonder if this. That's is, my biggest fear. I, you know, I, that's, that's a valid fear for sure. I wonder if this is going to be the, like, you know, Superman stories tend to run in in like four or five year chunks like you know the the new krypton stuff went on for a very long time after new krypton we had the sort of uh 
the, the, the trying to bring Superman back down to Earth, you know, with that stupid grounded storyline, which did not last very long, but because Flashpoint happened. But there, there, are, there are these sort of periods of Superman where, where, like you said, people want to bring him back to basics. But those are usually like interspersed with people who want to keep extending the family out. And I think that the New 52 was such a prolonged back-to-basic Superman story that we're going to get people really enjoying writing John and Lois and yeah. and all of the folks for a while. And I, I hope so, at least. You know what's really interesting about this book? Um, it really kind of fits, and you touched on this a little bit, but it fits the um, kind of the mold of a Superman-Batman book, which we don't have right now. But it, it very much is that type of book. Um, and I kind of I kind of like that we have this rather than, you know, we had that Batman Superman book in the new 52 and it was it was fine. But this is kind of more in the spirit of the original one, but also I think a lot better because it's, you know, forging new ground. Right. Yeah, it allows DC to do something with these classic with the classic idea of a Batman Superman book, but do so in an entirely new way. Mm-hmm. Although to be fair, this is this is sort of a rip off of the New Fifty Two World's Finest book with Huntress and the uh, Supergirl. <laughs> in, in, ter- in terms of a team up book between two uh offspring slash relatives mm-hmm. but you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but yeah it, it's way better than that book oh absolutely yeah. oh yeah for sure head for and sure. shoulders um all right that brings us to superman number 29 written by keith champagne illustrated by doug monkey what? yeah this... you said it's writ- written by keith champagne are you sure about that yeah yeah uh tomasi and gleason were not part of this issue Oh, it was solicited as Champagne and Tomasi, but I guess uh, Tomasi and Gleason get a special oh. thanks here, so maybe they helped oh. with the plotting of it. But it's certainly scripted by Champagne. Oh, okay. I, I think it I... says something about the quality of the Champagne brought to this that you didn't instantly notice it wasn't Gleason and yeah. uh, and Tomasi. Because I thought. I thought it was Tomasi and Doug Monkey. I was like, oh, a, a Green Lantern uh, reunion. Yeah. In more ways than one. Yeah. Right. Which, I, that, that was kind of, when I when I picked this up, I, I had originally thought that it was going to be Tomasi and Gleason with Gleason on art, and we'd have a Green Lantern core kind of, um, you know, return to, you know, have them kind of like returning to that which I love that run a lot, but then we got the bait and switch and it was champagne and monkey, but it was still, you know, it was still really enjoyable. The definitely, you know, better than the last arc and, um, seeing monkey return to drawing, you know, Sinestro and parallax and those characters. It was fun. Yeah. He draws a creepy parallax. Yes, he does. Um, I thought this was an interesting issue because it's continuing this thing that Rebirth is doing, which is fun, which is every now and then letting one of the big DC characters 
play with one of the other villains a little bit. And, like, you know, while there's a little bit of history with Parallax and Superman, especially because of the Cyborg Superman stuff, the destruction of Coast City, and just the idea of Superman, you know, uh, being, quote, betrayed by Hal or whatever, like, there is a little bit of history there, but it's it's not a villain you would necessarily associate with Superman. And I think I think it's so much fun to do that. There are so many great DC villains that get uh, underutilized just because of, well, because of a million reasons. So to have to have Parallax show up in a Superman book, I'm all for that. I want to see more of that. Yeah. I wonder if we're going to, you know, the last time we saw Sinestro, he was old and naked on Quard with, uh, with what's her name? Yeah. And now he's he's young and not naked, so <laughs> not. Th- I mean, I don't really care, but <laughs> it's just it is just it's interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of fuzzy math going on here. I think. Yeah. But yeah, Ken, any any additional thoughts on this issue? Um, it's um yeah, it was it. It felt like a throwback without being a throwback. Um, Superman and Sinestro are a very odd combination. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm kind of willing to see where it goes. I, um, I'm reading it right now uh-huh. in preparation for the movie. And so that was it was kind of funny. There's like a very it-ish vibe to this. Oh, absolutely. To this arc. Yeah. Yeah, that is interesting. That's fun. Uh, how are you finding it? I haven't read it since I was in high school. I really like it. I'm about halfway through. Nice. That's been Stephen King chat. And now back yep. to the DC3 cast. Um, that brings us to Trinity number 12, written by Rob Williams, illustrated by V. Ken Marion, uh, or 5 Ken Marion, as I like to call him sometimes. <laughs> um this has trinities on trinities on trinities on trinities. We get the the dark trinity of Lex, Roz, and uh, Cersei. We get the, uh, the mystic trinity of Zatanna, Constantine, and Deadman. We get the red trinity of Red Hood, Bizarro, and Artemis. And, of course, everyone's favorite, Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman. Um, what did you guys think of this issue? Ken, we'll start with you. Okay. Um, so I have a question. Yeah. Remember when Rob Williams wrote Martian Manhunter? Yeah. And how it was really, really good and really fun and really weird? Yeah. What happened? It's, it's the Tom King conundrum. Well, I'll say this too. Williams also has done a lot with 2000 AD, it's been quite good. So yeah, I mean, oh yeah, I, I I've heard a lot of good stuff about it, but yeah. it's just I was really, really bored with this. It shouldn't be boring. Yeah, it shouldn't. You've got, you know, you've got the Trinity, you've got Zatanna, who we've been raving about. You mm-hmm. got Constantine. Uh, I don't know how Batman can see Dead Man, but. Uh, you shouldn't be able to. Um, it, it should be. It should be a lot better than it is. It feels very... 
I like I don't know. I haven't been reading Trinity. I, I read the first few issues mostly for Manipal's art because his art's gorgeous, but I, I think he's just okay as a writer. Agreed. Um, but yeah, I don't know if this is a quote unquote filler arc or if it's part of a larger narrative. Well, Williams has been doing some of this dark Trinity stuff in like there, he did an annual, there was one other issue he did with this. So I feel like they are trying to push this in some ways, but I don't know how important this is to the overall, like Vince is, Vince is convinced that this is going to play big into the overall like rebirth narrative. I don't necessarily yeah. think that's the case, but we'll see. I, I'm kind of with him, though, because he's also doing that action villain arc with Lex. Mm-hmm. So. And then you got to remember Raish met with, uh, I don't know, who's the head of the Order of St. Dumas from oh, the last oh. episode of Detective. Yeah. Raish has been around. Actually, he's been in a couple of books. Yeah. Yeah, he was in Metal. He was in Teen Titans. I guess he was in the lead up to metal. He wasn't, he was in one of those like casting or forge issues one with all the immortal people. Yeah. Um, Yeah. He's getting around. He was in all-star. I don't know if we said that. And I actually, um, I kind of had a mad theory in regards to his appearance in detective. Go for it. Okay. Um, bear in mind this, this, this theory is so me. Um, He's talking to the head of the Order of Saint Dumas about how he has about introducing him to their benefactor, like someone above the chain. And you know, Doomsday Clock is supposed to be well. I mean, and the rest of Rebirth, we should be having more of the rest of the DC universe returning, like JSA and the Legion and such. And I was thinking. Considering that Young Justice show is coming, season three is coming, are they trying to put together some for- version of the light or like the Legion of Doom? Huh. That's really interesting. Because Raish was a member. Uh, I'm trying to remember. It was Raish Al Ghul, Vandal Savage, Black Manta. Lex Luthor. It, it was essentially the Legion of Doom in that show. And yeah, it's you know, been you a got, while since we've had anything like that. You, you got Tim Drake coming back. You know, they're reprinting the Young Justice comics. They're reprinting the old Superboy um, series. I don't know. Again, this is just me being really crazy and on brand, but... <laughs> No, I think that makes a lot of sense, actually. We'll see if that, uh, if anything comes of that. Because, I don't know, I just feel like, because I know you guys were talking about how maybe that they were working with Mr. Oz, and I just, that didn't, that didn't really sit well with me. I just feel like Oz is so simultaneously separate from everything, but so ingrained into everything. Like, I don't think he would need people like Raish. If that makes sense. Yeah. I think we'll have a much better idea about all that 
as of next month when Oz's identity gets revealed. Um, oh but, yeah, that's coming. I forgot. About yeah, that. it's coming up. Uh, it's like it's like a, a week or two before uh, Lonely Place of Living. It's gonna be a big, a big couple weeks for DC uh, continuity stuff. Um, yeah. But anyway, that brings us to our final book of the week: Wonder Woman number twenty-eight. This is written by Shay Fontana and illustrated by um, uh, Messina. What's his first name? Somebody help me. We look- I'm, lo- I'm looking. I'm trying to find it. You're looking for artist? Yeah. Of course, it's going to be at the very end. Yeah, exactly. I'm scrolling through the whole issue here. Uh, David. David Messina. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I thought that this was better than Shea Fontana's. First of all, I was, I was super hyped for Shea Fontana to be writing this book, and I thought her first couple issues were just okay. I thought this was way more fun than the first couple issues she did. I I think that the Edda stuff worked, and uh, it's always good to see Diana being a protector. So I enjoyed that yeah. stuff. Yeah, this this was a lot more engaging and interesting than the first two issues. I think I I feel like this is, can't be a coincidence, but they um, they're using villains that have um, kind of rare medical disorders. Um. Like the the first arc had the I can't remember what she had, but she needed Diana's DNA for something to like save her life. And then this character is a hemophiliac and needs money for us uh, for a treatment. So I, I wonder if there's if that's like a theme that they're going for. That's interesting. You know, you know, in in bits and pieces of this, like you know, the whole thing with the soldiers and yeah. Edda's injury and stuff. You know what I was kind of reminded of? This feels like a little bit a better version of what um, those Superman filler issues were trying to do. When they're talking about soldiers and stuff. Because those... I mean, you guys read those Superman (laughs) filler issues. They were terrible. Yeah. This felt a little bit more nuanced than, than that. But, um... I haven't been reading this arc. I actually haven't. I have not read a lot of the Rebirth Wonder Woman. I'm probably going to read Rucka's run as a full thing. But um, yeah, it was um, it was pretty decent. Yeah, I, like I said, I think one of the things that Rebirth has been good with Wonder Woman has been establishing her supporting cast a little bit more, and just just showing how much she cares for Etta. I think is a big piece of of making Wonder Woman uh, the, a more important member of the DC universe, just to give us reason to care about her world, not just the one character. So yeah, that that does it for our show this week. Uh, thanks to Ken for sitting in. We really appreciate you uh, giving up some of your Tuesday night here to talk with us. Yeah, uh, no problem. I'm glad to. Well, replace him. Yeah. To replace Vince. You know, he's dead. He's dead. He's yeah. dead now. Deal with it. Yep. 
taken oh. by sports at such a young age. <laughs> uh, I mean, to be fair, if one of us was to be taken by sports, it's probably going to be Vince. Oh, for sure. So, um, but you know, that's uh, that's neither here nor there. You know, I guess we can always hope for a resurrection. As we said last time, maybe uh, four imposter Vinces will show up, and we'll have to tell which is which is the real Vince. Man, that'd be so fun. Yeah. We need, like, mulleted Vince, leather jacket Vince, um, African-American Vince. <laughs> and, and like, young, yeah, te- you know, like, preteen Vince. Yeah, yeah. We, we can make that happen. Let's make it happen, folks. Uh, until then, you can follow all three of us on Twitter. I am at Brian is an app. I'm at SirFox89. And I'm at Discrunt Scholar. And uh, thanks again to Ken. We'll be back next week. And uh, enjoy your comments, guys. Good night.